tuned into Little Raleigh Radio. This is Lawn Darts Radio, your weekly guide to deliberate leisure here in the city of Oaks. And uh, one thing that you uh, need to be deliberate about is uh, setting aside time to mourn and honor. And uh, uh, we get a reminder of that on the calendar every year. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow will be Memorial Day. My name is Jacob. In the studio is Benny Mack. Hey, buddy. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. How are you? I am very well. Uh, and, and, and you have this yet yeah, today, maybe a little bit uh, a little bit more to a low key, I think, than our usual high minded hijinks. Probably so, but uh, I think fine. we'll still get some laughing in. Oh, we'll definitely get some laughing in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, but but yeah, you are correct. You are very much. This is Memorial Day weekend, and yes, it is uh, the unofficial start to summer here in America. Um, but um, it, it's also a time where we. Uh, remember those who have fought and died for our country and uh, for better, for worse, whatever the wars, we're not going to, you know, rehash the politics about why we fight and everything like that. That's not what this day is about. But it is about those who who do fight and those who have have lost and sacrificed. Yeah, it is. Um, it absolutely and, is. Um, it's it's up to the uh, the proletariat. Uh, to decide um, whether those wars are just or not, that's a very the, the soldiers. The social, the soldiers, uh, they don't get to ask why. No, uh, it's a so. very socialist word, there, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have been listening to some Woody Guthrie to get ready for for today's program. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen. His guitar killed fascists. Okay, and it keeps doing so. And it keeps doing so. <laughs> Oh, man, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to what Lincoln said, that it's up to us, you know, to, to figure, to remember those and to to make sure that their that their sacrifice was not in vain. And we'll talk more about that So bring later. your neighbor some casserole. You know what? That's fine and okay, but bring him some casserole. Look after your neighbor. You know, invite him to the cookout. Give him a hot dog or a veggie dog, whatever you eat. Are you up on your flag code? Um, it's been a while, but yes, I'm, I'm trying to remember I, I'm in, I'm for in, Memorial Day. I'm an Eagle Scout, yeah. so yes. For Memorial Day, I'm trying to remember. Do you put the flag at half past in the morning, and then at noon do you put it to full? Or no. Uh, what so, time do you? So what you do is when you raise the flag on Memorial Day, you run it up the flagpole fast, mm -hmm. and then bring it down to half mast real slow. Yeah, but I thought at some point during the day you're supposed to put it back to full. Mm, that I don't. We'll, know. we'll look that up. Yeah, I do. I know, know there is a holiday where you do that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I yeah, I think I'll, I, from what I from what I remember is you run it up the pole, at the top all the way to the top, and then bring it slowly down to half mast on Memorial Day. Yeah. Um. Also, and we'll talk more about this. That uh, you know, it wasn't until 2000. That Congress uh, passed a resolution uh, calling for people to stop 
and take a moment to rem- to remember uh, at three o'clock on Memorial Day. And so, you know, Coca Cola Six Hundred, which runs on Sunday, a few <laughs> decade or so ago, it had to run on Monday because of rain. And they all stopped at three o'clock. Like all the the drivers stopped. Oh wow! Stopped That's powerful. On the track, stopped the cars, cut their engines. It was eerily quiet, and they all just sat in their cars. And everybody, we all just stopped and took that moment at three o'clock for like a minute or two. It was, it 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 it. it I mean, it raised the hair on the back of my neck. It was nuts. It was crazy. So yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, that was yeah you know, that 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 but that didn't come around until about the two thousands, and then it really caught on after nine eleven, and, and uh, you know, the coming together of the country rah rah, um, after after the attacks on nine eleven and everything like that. So, but yeah, we'll get into some history of Memorial Day. We'll get into uh, some other fun things that happen on Memorial Day. The yeah. races, because we've got two races going on today. Uh, and we'll remember... And just so if people were wondering, it is noon is when you're supposed to then raise it back to full. I'm sorry? Uh, just in case people were wondering, noon is when you're supposed to raise it back to full staff. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because you're trying to say that their sacrifice um, preserved the union, or preserved the, the nation. Yeah. And so... Well, do we want to jump in on here? <laughs> no. Jump, jump in on the, you know, some history here. I think so. I think that uh, beginnings are important. Fantastic. So you know, Memorial Day is it grew out a, a lot. I like a lot of our modern patriotic traditions that we have grew out of the Civil War. Um, it's you know, it started in the wake of the Civil War because the country at that point had. 600,000 dead soldiers on both sides, the North and the South. Um, and do you remember around what the population of the country was uh, before that? Um, uh, I feel like that's a, a very large it, it, it was. It was. It was a large portion, maybe 10 million at that point. So we're talking about a good, we're talking about a good fifth. Maybe about a good fifth of the country was dead. Uh, and that's, you know, in estimates are between 600,000 and 700,000 dead, including if you want to include civilians and everything like that. But, um, you know, it was a it was a good amount of it was a good amount of people that were killed in, in the war. Um, and the way the way people thought about death was changed by the war drew gilpin faust the um uh former president of harvard has a great book about death in the civil war and how the death rituals were really changed by the war because there were it was a deeply religious society and people thought people um uh, would gather when they were when they were their time had come their time was near they would gather next they would gather around the bedside their families were were there and they would stay there with them and and, in basically in a death watch but make sure that they died a good death because they felt like that would be a that you had your chance for absolution correct had your chance for last rites if right right well when you if you're a soldier and you're dying, 
you know, hundreds or thousands of miles from home, you didn't have those rituals there. And so this is where the modern science of embalming came from. Because people, you would have these embalmers following the armies around because people wanted to bring their dead relatives home. And so they would embalm them and then they would put them in a box and ship them on the train and take them home. So this, yeah, this is where, I mean, embalming came out of. And so another part of that is, you know, remembering, uh, uh, remembering the soldiers and a lot of the death rituals from that time to the 19th century included going to decorate graves. And so it was, that's what, that's what Memorial Day started out as, was Decoration Day. And it actually started during the war. You know, a lot of precursors to, to that um, started during the war where, you know, war widows and whatnot would go to the cemeteries and, and decorate the graves and everything like that. So um, um, the earliest occurrence of an organized memorial for, for Union soldiers, it was actually for Union soldiers, happened on May 1st, 1865 in Charleston. This is a fascinating story. Yeah, so the the war had only been over for about a month at that point. Yeah, it only been yeah, it only been o- over in a month, and and this happened in Charleston, the cradle of secession, where where the war started at Fort Sumter. Um, it, it happened at the Washington Racecourse and Jockey Club, which was a pr- Confederate prison camp. That's where the Confederates uh, held their Union sol- prisoners of war. Uh, more than two hundred sixty Union soldiers died at the racetrack uh, and were buried in a mass grave out behind the grandstands. More than 10,000 people, though, mainly freed black folk, came out and marched around the track, and they would sing patriotic songs like John Brown's A Body and things like that. Uh, members of the famous 54th Massachusetts Regiment, you remember that, that the, the moving movie glory. glory. Yeah. That's what that is. That uh, that was that regiment. They would came and perform drills and marches and whatnot. Uh, this was the earliest. Uh, this is the earliest like organized effort, but it was lost to history until the nineties. Lost to to dominant history, but correct. I guess the people, the descendants, um, that were there, they became family stories. They became, you know, gathering stories. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how this historian David Blight first found it. He dug up letters while he was researching a book in in at, at the Harvard or Yale archives. I can't remember. Anyway, um, but even even those stories that you're talking about kind of got lost in history because the, the descendants of folks just thought it was a myth. They just thought it was a myth, and he actually found the documentation to say, "No, this actually happened." This was a real thing. Now, it was also probably buried in Charleston, especially by the white population, because they probably didn't like the idea of a bunch of freed black folks celebrating, you know, dead Union soldiers. So, um, you know, that's but there it is. That That's like the, the first known earliest occurrence of a of a, a Memorial Day um, celebration, commemoration, not celebration, a commemoration. Uh, so then the first national official uh, observance of Memorial Day or Decoration Day, as it was known there, May 30th, 1868, uh, John Logan, 
was a former Union general, and he was in charge of the um, Grand Army of the Public, which was Republic, which was the fraternal group of Union veterans. He was the one that um, that that sort of organized the idea of making Decoration Day a national holiday. And the first service was held at Arlington National Cemetery, uh, which ironically was established on Robert E. Lee's front door, front doorstep. Um, the the quartermaster general of the Union Army was a was a Southerner, but he was also an ardent Unionist, and he was so angry <laughs> at Lee. And the other other soldiers, uh, uh, officers who seceded to go fight for the Confederacy, that he established, he 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 confiscated the land around the Lee Custis House in Arlington, and buried and started burying dead Union soldiers around there, and that's how. Arlington, yeah, I've always wondered why Arlington was in Virginia. Yeah, so. that's it, and then that's why, and so. The Lee Custis Mansion is still there. It's still a part of the man- of, of the National Cemetery, but that's how it got started. In fact, he buried his own, the, the Quartermaster General buried his own son in Lee's wife's rose garden. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how, that's how, that's how bitter he was, <laughs> that he knew he was going to do this and, and make sure that, that Robert E. Lee would never be able to come home. Uh, so... Uh, but as I said earlier, there were movements in towns in both north and south to, to honor the dead and whatnot, uh, mainly pushed by the women because they were the ones back at the homesteads having to deal with this. They were widows, uh, and they were the ones that were having to um, deal with the aftermath of, of, of the war. Uh, so there's a woman by the name of Mary Ann Williams. She is credited with pushing the idea of decorating the graves of fallen soldiers in Georgia. She had a group, uh, she was a part of the group called the Soldiers Aid Society, which helped Confederate soldiers during the war. And then those changed to Ladies Memorial Association in 1866. She wrote a letter that was printed in several newspapers across the South that called for a day to decorate the graves of fallen soldiers. Um, and in, in, in uh, Georgia, the new holiday was observed on April 26, 1866, two years before the first national observance. Uh, and then in 2022, the National Cemetery Administration, which is part of the, the VA, um, uh, credited the idea, credited Williams with the idea of decorating soldiers' graves. And so she had a, a major push she had a made she's credited with having the um, um the impetus to to do decoration day um you know you've got you know as i said earlier decoration observances in both north and south during the war preceded the national tradition yeah and i think i mean some places you would almost you would have two decoration days at, you know to for the Union and for the Confederate. Yeah, yeah. Soldiers. So, so yeah. So that's another thing. There was, there was, um, uh, there is something called Confederate Memorial Day, um, because that you know because um, 
both sections were were mourning each other their their own dead, and so and, you know some of the southern states still to this day um, observe Confederate Memorial Day. North Carolina, it is May tenth. It's not an official state holiday or anything like that. Um, our friends over at Oakwood Cemetery which has the Confederate graveyard over there, the sons and the daughters of the Confederacy will come over and do a ceremony there in, in the graveyard there. Um, uh, but, you know, by, by the 20th century, these commemorations sort of started blending together and then and were celebrated under the name Memorial Day, which Memorial Day, uh, again, comes from, was first used by the, the group, the Grand Army of the Republic, so by World War II, you know, Memorial Day was the common day for the holiday, but it didn't become a fe- an official federal holiday until 1967 and then moved to its current spot on the calendar as the last Monday in May in 1968, creating a three-day weekend. Like, so in Congress... It used to be a fixed holiday before that. Yeah, exactly. Um so, and as as we talk about it, though, we it's the unofficial start of the summer season in the United States. But veterans groups have really just ever since ever since that the late sixties and whatnot have have sort of they have a lot of mixed feelings about it because um, creating a three day weekend they they feel like it undermines the solemn meeting of the holiday at least back then. I think now things have, have changed a little bit more. We we still have a lot. Well, we'll talk more about it. We'll have, um, um, uh, you know, every every town in America really has a, you know, they'll have their own Memorial Day parade or commemoration or something like that, um, you know. So uh, and then and then in two thousand, as I told you, uh, Congress passed the National Moment of Remembrance Act, asking Americans to stop and have a moment of remembrance at three p.m. On Memorial Day, that's similar to similar to Armistice Day that they um, uh, celebrate in England, in Great Britain, um, at the end of uh, to celebrate the end of the Great War. You know, which we celebrate as Veterans Day, November eleventh. Um, other traditions: uh, National Memorial Day concert is held on the West Lawn of the Capitol. The National Symphony Orchestra plays and performs patriotic music. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it's just, it's a real dichotomy. Memorial Day has just become a real reflection of the dichotomy of America right now between our sort of our, our, our culture and our, um, you know, sometimes in different. So I, I feel like there's less of a dichotomy now uh, than there there used to be. I think that. When we were leaving, uh, you know, the Vietnam War, yeah, um, where it was a was a draft, um, you people were very wary of glorifying a soldier. But now that it's an all volunteer army, yeah, for folks that have experienced that loss, there was there we've been reminded of that that willingness to serve rather sure. than the compulsion to serve. Right, yeah. And oh. I, yeah, and I agree and I think yes, we've gone up and down, we've gone in waves and and, and things. But when I'm talking about the dichotomy, I'm talking about like the the civil religion aspect of Memorial Day where we have these sort of shared 
experiences of remembrance. Well, and also that that pull, tug and pull of what you feel like you're supposed to do right. versus what you you want to do. You're like, oh, well, I'm not at work. That's great. <laughs> right, right, you right. Know? Yeah, and that's but the at other same thing. Time, it's like, but I need to versus grilling out and drinking hot drink, yeah. drinking beer and hot dogs all day. And everyone's going to have a different distance to to loss. Yeah, exactly. And and I think because there is a and you can argue, I mean, this is argued in military circles all the time because there's not a shared sacrifice like the draft brought together in World War II in Vietnam, whatever. Um since it is an all volunteer military, I I think people, you know, you know, doff their hat and say thank you for your service. That's also that's become real hollow to a lot of veterans. Yeah, it's one thing that I've seen resonate really well. You know, obviously anything overdone or done without sincerity is going to ring hollow. Yeah. But uh, if you've got a veteran in your life, you know, everyone's all reminding to say, you know, welcome home. Yeah. 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 Welcome home. I, you know, I I heard that one of the things that uh, the best thing you could do for a veteran is to hire them. Uh, you know well said yeah to hire them give them a job you know the skills that they learned in the military it may not be the skills <laughs> they learn a lot of soft skills in the military that can be translated into any business to anything so you know that's a that's a you know good way to honor their service give them a job pay them pay them wages give them benefits because lord the va <laughs> that, that's a massive red tape right there <laughs> all together <laughs> just trying to get their you know va benefits their health care their education and even that i mean that's the funny thing is you know after after world war ii we had the gi bill and you know it created the american middle class where all these veterans are coming back and coming back home and so they were able to get education they were able to get cheap loans for house housing and everything like that but it, even that didn't didn't it wasn't for everybody because black veterans didn't get that they weren't able to to uh to to get the benefits of the gi bill the funny thing about the gi bill is that it is a watered down version of what fdr was calling an economic bill of rights so before he died one of the goals was after he won the war and to build up, you know, to build sort of a post-war uh, America, he was crafting an economic bill of rights, which mean everyone had to, to add to the Constitution, everyone had a right to an education, everyone had a right to health care, everyone had a right to, to a job, you know, all this stuff that, that grew out of the Great Depression and the New Deal. He wanted to enshrine that into the Constitution. Well, I mean, obviously he died, um, and I mean something like that would just be massive to get through Congress and then to the states. But the the ideas of that were watered down and used in the Montgomery GI Bill. Yeah, I did not know that. Well, now you know. And I, I didn't know. Um, you know, I guess my ignorance is showing. I didn't realize that black soldiers weren't uh, originally entitled to the benefits of the no, GI Bill. No, they That's... well they were, but they just. Nobody enforced it, so they just ignored them. Or, you know, where are you going to, if you get a tuition scholarship, but where are you going to go to school? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus redlining practices, trying to get a house. Well, you can't get a house where they won't let you live there, you know, that type of stuff. And so the modern civil rights movement 
uh, grew out of World War II. The veterans, the black veterans who fought, they 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 felt, especially in Europe and France, they felt like they had they were seen more as a as as human and people in France and in Europe than they were in their old country, and that's how the that's where the modern uh, uh, the civil rights movement grew out of was was World War Two and how those how the returning black soldiers were treated. Well, let's uh let's get your your voice a break there, Ben. And, sure. Uh, we're gonna listen to Gil Scott Heron with the crutch. After that, some Jerry and the Pacemakers. You will never walk alone. You're tuned into Lawn Darts Radio here on Little Rally Radio, listener powered uh, radio. If you uh, enjoyed that and uh, Benny Mac's history there of uh, Memorial Day, well, we enjoy you uh, joining us and tuning in. Yeah. Feel free to hit up the website, make a donation, keep the lights on. Absolutely. And uh, It could be a one-time donation. It could be a sustainer donation, and we thank you for Will you for be that. our forever friend? You will be <laughs> our forever friend. Would you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Oh, now I'm going to sing a, a, a Mr. Rogers' song. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. All right, I'm Did you, uh, <laughs> did you ever hear the things, you can never go down the drain song? N- no, what? <laughs> you can never go down the drain? It was on the Mr. Rogers album, and... <laughs> there was, a, I guess, a child worried about falling down the drain. So it's Mr. Rogers singing about all the things that are too big to fit in a bathtub. God, drain. <laughs> that man, we do not deserve that man. We did not deserve that man. Uh, that would that that's just real quick amazing. music recap though. Yeah, uh, on our our Memorial Day music parade. Yeah, uh, you heard Strand of Oaks woke up to the night as well as Scalagudas. I want to be uh, with you in the darkness and uh, Jerry and the pacemakers. You'll never walk alone. Good stuff. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. But yeah, we don't deserve Mr. Rogers. We really don't. We really didn't. One, Man. Four, one four three. Huh? One four three. One four three. That was his weight. You know why? I because it was the number of letters in the phrase I love you. Yeah, and he was adamant about maintaining that weight. Yes. He swam every day. Yeah. To maintain that weight. <laughs> Getting back to Memorial He's Day. He's a veteran. Is he? Maybe was he? No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. Okay. No, he wasn't a veteran. That was a myth. Was it? Okay. That was an urban myth that that he was a stone cold killer. Yeah. And, I, I didn't and, think and that, then and I, then he and then as part of his penance he became Mr. Rogers. No, he was. See, not. I always heard that with Bob Ross, who was in the Air Force, I believe. Well, that that is, yeah. yeah. No, Bob Ross was in the Air Force. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, there were urban legends about both of those guys. Uh, Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross. Jacob is looking it up right now, no, just no. just to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think he was. I don't think Mr. Rogers was a veteran. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't a a Navy SEAL. <laughs> a, a Navy a Navy SEAL? No, he wasn't. Yeah, but that no. So Bob Ross was in the Air Force, and he was stationed in Alaska, right? And, you know, he did a lot of paintings with mountains, like winter paintings with mountains and stuff in there. And and the reason why he was he was inspired by his time in the Air Force being stationed in Alaska and the beauty of the landscape out there. So that's why he had so many paintings of of mountains and stuff. How about that? Yeah. The more you know. Do do do. 
Getting back to Memorial Day, one of the more cultural things that I enjoy every year is TCM, Turner Classic Movies, has a three-day marathon of war movies. And it's fan. I mean, there's so many war movies out there. Some are good. Some are not so good. But um, the uh, but TCM really curates a fantastic marathon of of war movies that really explores the the nuances of conflict. And you know. Shout out to my film professor, uh, uh, Marsha Gordon. <laughs> I paid attention, Marsha. I paid attention in class. <laughs> but yeah, she did a book not too long ago, I think, on Sturgis films, didn't she? Yeah, she did. John Sturgis. Yeah, yeah. Was it Sturgis or Samuel Fuller? It was Fuller. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Fuller. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, Fuller uh, last night TCM uh, TCM aired his movie, The Steel Helmet, which was a, it's a fantastic movie, but it was a movie, uh, an, an anti-war fil- film wrapped into a, a war movie. And that, that's a fascinating dichotomy about a lot of war movies is that they actually have an anti-war message. Uh, in a lot, and, and Samuel Fuller, Or at the very least, a, a, Onus to remind folks of the human cost Correct. Of, of war. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that really started with, you know, well that 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 carried the tradition on. Um, Samuel Fuller carried that tradition on. There is a great documentary on documentary series on on um, Netflix called Five Came Back, and it focuses on five directors who went to war. Um, John Ford, William Wyler, John Houston, Frank Capra, and George Stevens. And they they enlisted and were working for the Army and Navy, and they, they did um, um, uh, uh, propaganda films for the armed forces. But they were also in war zones. Uh, and John Ford famously was on the island of Midway during the Battle of Midway when it was attacked. Um, you know, John Stevens, uh, George Stevens was in um, Europe following Patton's Third Army as they were bro- breaking out uh, during Operation Cobra after D-Day. William Wyler was with the bombers. He did Memphis Bell. Um, you know, it, it, it and the and then these these directors came back and they used their experience um, to inform their filmmaking and some of their best films, ever, some of their best films were informed by their experiences in war. So, you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? Yeah. Okay, and it, it's a Christmas classic. It became a Christmas classic not until the 1970s because it went into the public domain and all the TV stations were able to play it over Christmas, you know, and so that's how it became a modern Christmas classic, a tradition we watch It's a Wonderful Life. Um, back when it was released, Frank Capra thought it was his best film, and arguably it is his best film, but it was such a flop at the box office because people were just, at the time, it would, they were just war-weary, they were tired, they just didn't, they, did, they really just didn't get into it. Well, uh, again, Frank Capra had gone to war, and Jimmy Stewart also went to war. He was a B-25 bomber pilot, and he was part of the 8th Air Force who 
did, you know, carpet bombing sorties over Germany. And um, those flight crews experience they were they were under extreme stress all the time because they didn't know if they were going to get shot down and killed on a mission it was and they were doing missions every day every day there's another film called 12 o'clock high with gregory yeah, Peck. it sounds like 12 o'clock high. it is 12 o'clock high 12 o'clock high gregory peck explores the mental toll that those bomber crews were under jimmy stewart was one of those Jimmy Stewart was one of those bomber pilots, and he never talked about his experience, but he experienced terrible PTSD after the war, and he was channeling that PTSD while he was acting in It's a Wonderful Life. So you know where that scene, the scene where after Uncle Billy loses the money and and Jimmy Stewart goes home, and he's air irritable and agitated and angry and all this. And he yells at Donna Reed and yells at his kids and knocks over his knocks over all his 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 architect plans and everything like that. And he's just expressing the frustration. That was Jimmy Stewart's PTSD. He was channeling that. He was he was having PTSD flashbacks and and episodes while he was filming. It's a Wonderful Life. It's incredible. It's incredible to see. And then to watch, to know that, and then to watch that with that in mind, it just adds a whole new dimension to that movie right there. Because it even mentions that, that, you know, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Jimmy Stewart's brother in the movie was a war hero, gets the Medal of Honor and everything like that, even though... You know, uh, George Bailey doesn't, he's 4F, he stays home, he minds the bank and whatnot. Yeah, while Harry's at war. Yeah, while Harry is at war and becomes a war hero and everything like that. It just adds a whole other element to that that story, to that uh, movie. It's it's so fascinating. It really is. Uh, So Samuel Fuller we're talking about earlier. Samuel Fuller did The Steel Helmet. That was a seminal war movie about the Korean War. And he did it so quick and on such a shoestring budget, he turned it around within six months of the start of the Korean War. But he based it on his own experiences as a combat soldier in World War II. He later at, he later did another film in the uh, 1981 called The Big Red One. Uh, Lee Marvin, Mark Hamill is in it, and he um, and Samuel Fuller also explores more about the combat soldier and his combat experience following the Big Red One, the First Infantry Division, uh, as their their uh, uh, experiences in. Um, it follows their experiences in Italy and then yeah, I'm not familiar on, with that on D-Day uh, and then in Europe. Yeah, that's a it's a, it's another really good, a really good war film. But TCM does a fantastic job of curating these classics, these, you know, and lesser known films. Of course, there were a lot of films about World War Two that came out. Um, a lot of stuff that explores the the experience of the combat soldier. There's a great one called uh, the great movie called The Story of G.I. Joe, which is all about Ernie Pyle, who was the war correspondent that embedded himself with the army 
and would write his column his columns back about uh, you know about the common soldier the common foot soldier and whatnot um it, it, it's just for me i enjoy it i i enjoy you know watching these films and seeing how they're different takes on how you know war and conflict you know uh, just they're different takes on war and conflict um there's some funny films there are some more serious films there's propaganda film one of the biggest propaganda films was destination tokyo uh cary grant plays a submarine captain taking his um taking his submarine into tokyo bay to sink a uh, to sink an aircraft carrier um, and it definitely has propagandic um, aspects to it because the Warner Brother. It was made by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers really, really, you know, uh, poured themselves into the war effort because um, you know they wanted to make sure they wanted to say we are, you know, we're for the we're for the war effort. We're for, you know, we're patriotic. You know that type of stuff. Um, so. Uh, you know, it, and and there is there's a lot of jingoism, racial jingoism, in some of these old war movies, especially when it comes around the Japanese. There, the 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 un, one of the unfortunate things about World War Two is that there wasn't a lot of racial animosity between you know, Americans and Germans, but there was major racial animosity between Americans and the Japanese. They were, they were really, the Japanese were portrayed as almost an alien race, something different. FDR rounded up Japanese Americans and put them in internment camps. Um, and in propaganda films, they were, they were seen, they, they were seen in stereotypical manners. I mean, it, it was just the awfulest, awfulest, you know, racial stereotypes when it when it came to the Japanese. Yeah, a lot, a lot of dehumanization. Exactly. Even even in Donald Duck cartoons. Yeah, in Superman cartoons and Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. You know, the cartoons went to war, and um, um, everybody, everybody was really pitched in into the into the war effort there. So it, you know, it's really fascinating to see how Hollywood has has responded to war, and and what and and um, and how they have portrayed war, um, and then you get later on into into the seventies and eighties. Yeah, and I don't know if it was technology driven, but I always I think it's very fascinating that the fifties were so the I guess you know, late thirties forties. It's a lot of films are trying to suss out. You know what makes a war a right war or right. not? Right. And then the fifties, uh, where you really start to see, you know, the the mental impact of a war. Yes. What it means to serve, what it means to lose, um, and so that a lot of those movies do stand out uh, from Memorial Day. And then the sixties, I don't know if it was more the technology, um, but that's when you you started having movies wanting to recreate your actual battles. Right. Yeah. And, and then you, and then the seventies, Vietnam. Vietnam had a big impact. So you had Platoon, you had Apocalypse Now, um, and then We Were Soldiers. You know, up until the nineties, seventies, and nineties. And then you had a, re- a real renaissance of World War Two films in the nineties because that's when the Greatest Generation started to die out. 
You know, it was the 50th anniversary of D-Day. It's the 50th anniversary of the war and all this stuff. And so Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Saving Private Ryan popped up, Band of Brothers on HBO, and then The Pacific also on HBO. You had all these, this, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Somebody made a joke. I think Conan O'Brien made a joke that, you know, Tom Hanks at this point could be considered a World War II veteran because <laughs> he's fought the war so many times. And in all the theaters, using the European theater and yeah. Saving Private Ryan, he was, you know, Battle of the Atlantic and Greyhound, you know, this type of stuff. Um, so we had a real revival of that, uh, you know, of that because the, the greatest generation were dying. And now, now they're like in their nineties and the hundreds, you know, uh, and, um, there's a great story on, uh, a, um, military culture website called task and purpose about world war two veterans and, um, a group, uh, called, um, best defense foundation it was founded by a former NFL linebacker, Donnie Edwards, um, where he takes, um, he takes veterans from World War II and Korea and Vietnam and takes them back to the places where they fought. And, and the, for especially for the World War II veterans, they really love it um, because they go back to France and they go back to... Yeah, the last time they were there, they were ruins. Right, exactly. They go back to France and they go back to the Netherlands and, and, what, and Holland and they are treated, to this day, they are treated like heroes. To this day, they're treated like heroes, like liberators. It's so it's so fascinating. You've got the 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 freedom freedom flights or victory flights where they're taking veterans around to the to their old battlegrounds and whatnot. But they're they're old now. They're like average age is a hundred. I mean, we're losing we're losing the greatest generation. So these you know it, it, in one way it's great that we have these stories. That uh, that we have these stories, even if they are fictionalized, they are still a part of our cultural conscience, um, and that we can we we can actually watch them through pieces of art, you know, watch their you know, and and learn from them, really, just learn learn from this type of stuff. So that's one way for me. That's one way that that I like to that I like to uh, commemorate Memorial Day. I really, I just really like that aspect of, of or I, I, I like that aspect of commemoration. Well, I mean, just being able to have people's experiences, whether they really happened or just how they felt yeah. curated yeah. uh, is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's... Uh, let's it's a top of the hour. Top of the hour. You're tuned into Little Rally Radio at littlerallyradio.org. And we're going to listen to the Andrews Sisters. Oh, yes! It's Tony Orlando tie a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree. Before that, you're at Peter, Paul, and Mary. Where have all the flowers gone? My name's Jacob. This is Lawn Darts Radio, and uh, this show is hosted by Ben McNeely and myself. Yeah. We we appreciate you letting us spend Sunday morning with you. And uh, I know that uh, people's uh, sense of loss, of course, varies from degree of separation. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate in my life that I've, I've never experienced uh, a wartime loss firsthand. Right. I've got friends that have served that have lost people um, and my heart grieves for them. Right. And, um, and older people in my family where it, you'll see that 
just out of nowhere sometimes it comes back to them they you know they'll they'll i I miss dan or i miss you know uh, other people that you know I, I miss my brother i miss my sister yeah um it just it it always stays with them uh and uh you you got close to a family i don't know if you want to introduce your piece before yeah no uh, provide some context here. no absolutely so when i was a newspaper reporter in concord and kannapolis um in cabarrus county uh, a local soldier from harrisburg uh, christopher ryan barton serving in afghanistan part of the 101st airborne uh his um his uh unit were called or his, his platoon uh, was called the rockasans and they were uh, patrolling in the Kowals province when uh they were attacked by insurgents. He got caught up in small arms fire and was killed. 22 years old. Uh, May 24th, 2010. So 13 years ago, uh, this past week, we lost we lost Chris. It was right before Memorial Day weekend, too. So I... It was a... It, it, it was such a tough time. It was such a tough time and such a poignant time at that point because his family uh, was going through this this incredible loss. And my photographer, James Nix, and I went to them and we said, we want to tell Chris's story. We want to tell him, tell the story about his loss and, it, and who he was as a person and not just another person soldier who was killed in war and so we followed them for like two weeks or three weeks as they went through the process of bringing chris home went through the funeral um there was a huge procession from the airport to the funeral home in in harrisburg and it was all done it was it was really put together at the last minute the the town really came together and there were everyone was lining the streets with uh flags and and everything um and, and it was it was just a it, it was it, it was a it was a, a really weird mixed time because especially for folks on the home front um, at that time, people still had Afghanistan and Iraq in their mind. They still realized that 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 folks were that their their sons and daughters were over there fighting, and they still had that in the front of their mind. That changed, and I think a lot of that changed because of time, because we were there for so long. And so this is this is what I wrote. I put on Facebook on. Wednesday, this past Wednesday, in the wake of the chaotic exit from that war-torn country, it's easy to forget that our troops were sent to sent there to defend our country after 9/11. That conflict morphed into something else entirely, so much so that many became illusioned about the reasons about our reasons for still being there. But whatever the reasons, that doesn't lessen the sacrifice of those who died and the weight of of grief their families carry. 
Global War on Terror veterans continue the tradition of duty to our country, especially so because they volunteered to serve. I don't know if you remember or not, after 9-11, there are a lot of folks that went, out, went, and went to the, the recruitment office to sign up. They thought, yeah, folks either they either went to sign up or they went to New York to clean up those. Yeah, so many people. Yeah, and yeah, and, and they just they wanted to help and they wanted to know that they they had power to make things better. I know state representatives, a couple of state reps who, who, you know, they saw nine eleven as our generation's Pearl Harbor, and they went and they went to, to fight, to sign up and fight. I took it on, I guess, myself to show what was happening on the home side and the, 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 the effect of these wars on the home front and the, the, you know, the grief that these families um, went through. And it just wasn't that year. That, it, we just, we, Cabarrus County lost... Um, um, Chris Barton, and then in October we lost McClamrock, and I can't remember his name for right now, and I need to look that up, and I feel a little bit ashamed for that. Anyway, but well, that that's a good point for why we we do Memorial Day. We correct. We we refresh. We r- remind ourselves. Right, but he was killed in Iraq, and so we had two soldiers from from Cabarrus County killed within months of each other, fighting those wars, and. It, it it just, I have I have Chris's KIA bracelet. I don't have it on me right now, but it's on my bedside, and I keep that right next to my bedside, as a reminder, just as a reminder for me, um, uh, of of those who do serve, and I did a piece for WFAE in Charlotte, uh, about about Chris, and uh, we're gonna play it here right now. The town of Harrisburg is known for its large and festive July 4th parades, but last week the American flags that hung from every light pole were for a different reason, to welcome home a fallen soldier. Our first thing is to honor and respect these people that have gone and served for us to ensure that they get the respect that they deserve. That's Ronnie Fagger, the state captain of the Patriot Guard Riders a motorcycle group who take it upon themselves to assist the families of fallen servicemen and women. About 125 motorcycles escorted the body of Specialist Chris Barton through the streets of Harrisburg as hundreds of people lined the streets to pay their respects. All activity in Harrisburg stopped for a moment as Barton and his family made their way to his funeral. We're here today to honor the life and the passing of Christopher Ryan Barton, our American hero. Specialist Barton was like any 20-year-old when he joined the Army in 2008. He didn't quite know what he wanted to do, but he knew he wanted to help people. He volunteered for the infantry and joined the Special Forces, becoming a paratrooper attached with the 101st Airborne Division, the same unit that parachuted into Normandy on D-Day 66 years ago. Chris could have done less dangerous jobs in the Army, his family says, but he joined the infantry because, as he said, Somebody has got to do it. This is to certify that the president... At the funeral, a military attache presented Chris's family with the bronze star and a purple heart. No greater honor can be demonstrated by his ultimate sacrifice, and he will be forever remembered for his actions. 
Chris's wife, Heather Godwin Barton, sat on the front row, weeping softly, as family friend Meg Haskins remembered the soldier. She talked about the love he had for Heather. Chris wasn't afraid to be sappy. Their love was an inspiration full of great passion and a fairy tale romance that every girl dreams about. He had the body and the spirit of a Spartan warrior and the sensitivity of that divine grace and passion. As I told Heather, he had the whole package. Chris and Heather were friends in the same neighborhood in Harrisburg where everybody knows everybody. Heather said he was scared to ask her out at first, but by Christmas 2008, they were dating. Chris proposed to Heather on July 4th last year, and they were married last October in a small ceremony with only immediate family. Chris was supposed to come home on leave on June 15th. He and Heather were planning a proper wedding ceremony this year. Now, at age 19, Heather is a war widow. People lined the road again as Chris, accompanied by his wife, headed to the cemetery. You know, they're trying not to have Chris forgotten, and that means the most to me. They held American flags and circled the cemetery, too. There was a 21-gun salute. Ready, aim, fire! The gunshots, that's what got me. Like, I mean, everything got me, but I knew that was coming, and it just, and then when they hand me flag, that's when I just let it all out. It was hard, but it was very wonderful at the same time. As much as the family is grieving, Chris's mom, Elaine Schmidishoff, says she is also concerned for his buddies still in Afghanistan. I feel bad for all of those guys that are still out there, especially in this unit. I think that they're kind of scared more so now than they were. That They've heard of others being lost out there, but I think that this affects them on a whole other level. And I think right now I'm just kind of driven to help them. That's, I think that's where I'm going to focus my energy right now. So we'll heal and we'll work on our healing and we're going to try to help them heal. She'll start by sending them photos of the hundreds of people who lined the roads in honor of Chris. She wants the soldiers to see just how much people support them back home. For WFAE News, I'm Ben McNeely in Harrisburg. So that was May of 2010, um, and then in September, Private James McClamrock was killed in uh, Iraq. He was a part of the Army presence there. And so the county had a, almost a double whammy uh, that year. Um, two soldiers, two young men from, from Cabarrus County, killed in those wars and it had a profound effect on the community and it's it's really it, it, it's really just 
it's wonderful to see that they are that people are still remembering their sacrifice. They're still remembering them, especially around especially around Memorial Day. So, um, and you know, as I read on Facebook, I'm always reminded by Abraham Lincoln's words in, from the Gettysburg Address that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the, from the earth. So I just want to say, um, to Chris's family, to to Elaine and Roy and Corey and Brian and Heather, uh, we love you, we see you, and we'll always remember Chris. Well, well said. Thanks, buddy. A couple of songs that hit especially hard here on Little Rally Radio. That's uh, A. Mondi with a slow parade. Prior to that, Phoebe Bridges uh, covering Tom Waits' Day After Tomorrow. And um, um, American Aquarium, brother, oh brother of mine. Man, that song. Yeah, y- I, y- I, 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 it hurts your heart every time. Every time, which, it, which we need. And, and and you know, and you played that song before before we hit the air, and I mean, I could see you get choked up. I I was just like, oh man, this my my cold dead heart is growing three sizes <laughs> too big. <laughs> you have a you have a very big heart. <laughs> And, and it, it is it is far from dead, and uh, I, I appreciate the uh, the the love and support that um, that you provide for the families whose lives have touched yours. So thank you. Well, well and uh, thank you to everyone that um, has has been willing to share share their pain and share their loss and share their grief with others to help them heal out there. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. we appreciate you. Absolutely, we see you. We love you. We hear you. And, and on lighter news, uh, on lighter news, it's I, it's I, been a while since we've been in the studio. It really has been a couple so, of weeks. So it's good to be back. It has uh, been a couple. And, of and weeks. one of the things we do that's a lot of fun up here is uh, to look up and imagine. It's time for news in space. That's right. It's our weekly look at the happenings in the heavens, sponsored by my NASA logo hat. It's the Worm logo, the finest piece of marketing design in all of human spaceflight. And a lot has happened, man. A lot has happened in the past couple of weeks since we've been in the studio here, Jacob. Uh, so NASA has, uh, first of all, NASA has put out the um, uh, put out their contract uh, to Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos' company, to build the next generation of moon landers. Yeah, which is really, really exciting. It, very exciting right. for the Artemis mission. So, you know, Artemis competition is good. What's that? Competition is good. Competition is good. So we've got, um, so you know, we've got Artemis two supposed to come up next year, uh, November twenty twenty four. Uh, NC State's own Christina Cook is going to be on that mission, but all, they're not going to land on the moon. It's going to be a Pathfinder Doing mission. A moonshot. It's going to be a moonshot. They're going to fly around the moon and, you know, take some pictures from orbit to get the landing sites and all that stuff. So when Artemis 3 happens, Artemis 3 and 4, they're the ones that are going to that are going to land on the moon. On top of that, uh NASA is now asking is is now taking um, 
um, uh, uh, contracts from the private industry to build the next generation of moon buggies. A ninety billion dollar plus program. It's uh, well, it's part of the ninety. It's part of the Project Artemis. Uh, space aid. This is from Forbes. A space agency is building towards crewed landings, and the next generation lunar terrain vehicle would allow astronauts to explore the South Pole because that's where we think water is. And and if we're gonna have a permanent moon base, yeah, all of our landing sites are are basically trying to narrow down how close they can get to the possible water sites. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so because if that's gonna be where your long term power comes from, correct. Yeah, and and uh, so the 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 Apollo missions when they landed, they were close to the equator of the moon. We're going for the South Pole because that's where we think frozen water is, and that then we're going to use that for fuel and things of that nature. Uh, so we've got that. So um, yeah, so we've got the moon buggies going, but oh, huh. Much like any other government agency, NASA is way the hell over budget with Artemis. Their space launch system, the, the SLS rocket, the, the huge moon rocket that sent Artemis 1, is, is, is costing the space agency $6 billion more than its original budget, and it's six years behind schedule. <laughs> Oh man, this is from Gizmodo, um, and and it it, it is that comes accounting for inflation. Uh, yes, uh, but the it's a it's a report from NASA's uh, NASA's Inspector General's office here. Um, you know, the report found that NASA's overall investment in Artemis is projected to reach ninety three billion from twenty twelve to three twenty twenty five, and twenty three point eight billion of that is spent on the rocket alone. So, it begs the question, well, not begs the question, this also brings up, you know, issues, when, is NASA gonna, is going to become a pawn in the budget wars in Congress at some point? Um, you know, Axios here reports, Artemis program survived two presidential administrations and, by, and has bipartisan support um, in Congress um, both administrations have worked to reduce political risk of the program by re- awarding multiple contracts to commercial companies, which is basically how we got how we got the Apollo program. NASA, you know, NASA um, uh, uh, farmed out the design of the lunar module and the command module out to uh, and the lunar buggies out to um, um, uh, aerospace engineer uh, engineering firms, and then they built the Saturn V rocket. NASA did itself. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. You know, especially with debt ceiling talks coming up. You know, is NASA and the Artemis program going to be on the chopping block? So we just got to wait and see. That's what I got. What do you got? Yeah. Um. SpaceX is joining a lawsuit with the FAA um, against the uh, the government's environmental regulations. Why? Um, because it costs them money, and they don't. Uh, okay, <laughs> it costs the money to what shoot uh, to to launch their. Is this over to, the to meet the environmental standards? Is basically. this over the the Starship launch and how it spread all kinds of? It, of it's more of, to do with the the Starship, stuff around Texas. It's the stuff they want to do for the Starship V two launch, which okay. is what they need to put the bigger Earthlink satellites into space. Oh, okay. 
Boo. Boo. Yeah. Um, and then um, completely unrelated news, uh, NASA announced the four finalists, or the four volunteers they're going to be using for their uh, Mars Alpha Delta base, Ooh. which is uh, the first of three year-long simulations where they will have people working in a, a mock uh, Mars environment to see what the... Yeah. The psychological tolls will be um, when Mar- when astronauts eventually go to Mars. Go to Mars. Basically, four people will be living in an enclosure, doing chores, working together, yeah, uh, including uh, farming uh, and other activities. Um, and they are not allowed to leave for twelve months, and they'll be simulating communication delays uh, because depending on Mars and Earth's relationship to each other in orbit, right, that will depend that will slow down. Communication and speed up how fast we can talk to yeah to them. So, oh, that's fascinating. Interesting. That's fascinating. They, they originally had I think fifty two volunteers and they whittled it down to four. Wow, uh, this simulation has happened before um, in Hawaii. I think in two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, but that was done by the private sector. This is the first time that NASA um, is spearheading. Oh, okay. Um, so they they have they helped with the previous simulation, advising what the standards of living are going to be like but this is the first time where they're controlling what research options they're looking for yeah yeah gotcha cool that'll be fun yeah that's gonna be interesting to see so you you and i also like to look up in the in the heavens and go stargazing and whatnot but uh scientists are warning that stars could be invisible Within from Earth within twenty oh, okay. years, I was just like, "How does no? That doesn't invisible, <laughs> invisible, 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 invisible will not be visible <laughs> yes. from the Earth." Look, I'm just reading a headline here from the Guardian: Stars within twenty years as light pollution brightens the night skies, and a lot of it has to do with LEDs. You know, we're we're using yeah. LED lights now in in. Um, everywhere and everything now. Um, let's see. This is yeah. This is from the Guardian. The use of uh, LEDs and other forms of lighting are now brightening the night sky at a dramatic rate. Indiscriminate use of external lighting, street illumination, and advertising, and illuminated sporting venues are now blinding our view in the stars. Astronomers reported in 2016 that the Milky Way it was no longer visible to a third of humanity. And light pollution was worsened considerably uh, since then. At the current rate, most of the major constellations will be indecipherable in ten, in 20 years. Unfortunately, I can believe that. I can too. Holy crap. We can't lose the stars. I mean, they'll still be there and everything. But we have to look at the yeah. stars. I mean, come on. So, friends, turn off your lights turn at off, night. Turn off your lights. <laughs> What else you got? Um, well, speaking of stargazing, if we're looking at our, our atlas for the week, for yeah, the sea in the heavens, yes. Um, if the clouds will get out, yeah. Um, Arcturus is, is the is the big star of the week. Ooh, um, it, it is the one of the two brightest stars in the night sky this evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, of course, it's Cirrus um, for for our area, right? But uh, but this week, um, and it's it's like an orangish yellow star, Ooh. and it's going to be high in the south this evening. And then tomorrow night, um, it will um, be the brightest star in the night sky. 
um, and it will look like a, a kite shape. Um, so, so that 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 is going to be fun. Fantastic. And then uh, the most visible full constellation this week will be on Tuesday night, going into Wednesday morning. Yeah, and, and that's going to be Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia, which is normally a um, a constellation that's only really visible. Uh, in the the fall and the winter, it's seen as a cold constellation. Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, um, unbeknownst to me, but probably well known to a physicist, um, it'll be very visible. Uh, and the further south that you get, the closer to the horizon it will be. Oh wow! So for for Raleigh to like Atlanta, that kind of line. Yeah, it's gonna be right there on the horizon. Okay, which is, which is very very exciting. Yeah, good deal. And where's Venus? Because Venus is still like a. Still putting on a light show this year. Yeah. Um, Do you know or not? Well, <laughs> I know tonight. You know, if the uh, clouds are willing, yeah. um, <laughs> Venus will be in between Arcu- um, Arcturus and Vega. Vega and Arcturus. Yeah. Okay. Um, gotcha. And uh, I don't know where Pollux is, but that's where it's going to be on Monday night. Okay. So if you can find Venus, you found Pollux. You found Pollux. Yeah, they'll be four, four degrees apart. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's it for News in Space, our weekly look at the happenings of the heavens. Sponsored by my NASA logo hat. It's the Worm logo, the finest piece of marketing design in all of human spaceflight. Yeah, you're tuned in to Lawn Darts Radio here on Little Rally Radio. We're quickly running to the the end of the program. Yeah. And uh, do we have any kind of uh, Memorial Day observances that we want folks to be mindful of tomorrow? Yes, we uh, do. In addition to whatever ones they might be doing uh, on their own. Absolutely. So a lot of uh, Memorial Day ceremonies and remembrances tomorrow. Uh, Raleigh, especially in uh, Raleigh National Cemetery, that's tomorrow at 10 Carry at ten thirty, Apex at nine a.m. Nightmail, uh, Nightdale at eleven, Garner nine thirty, Johnston County. Uh, the Garner one, I think, is in their uh, their Veterans Park. Which uh, have you been out there yet? Uh, Lake Benson Park. I have yeah, not. It is, it is a really really nice memorial. Is it? Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Uh, let's see. Johnston County will be in Smithfield at eleven. Roxboro at eleven. Ooh, here's an interesting one. Peace Meditatathon. From nine to five, at the Wan Buddhism Meditation Temple in Chapel Hill, this is what it's described: through this day-long meditation and noble silence, come and sit and pass peaceful energy to others. There will be from nine to nine thirty a prayer ceremony followed by continuous twenty-five minute meditation sessions until five p.m. That's interesting. That's interesting. And then, uh, of course, uh, Historic Oakwood Cemetery, our friends over here in in downtown Raleigh, will be doing their um, tribute uh, um, uh, at the Field of Honor. Um, Yeah, last year was their first year back. um, Since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Their keynote speaker is retired General Dan McNeil, NC State grad. Uh, served as Commanding General of the 82nd Airborne and Commanding General of the U.S. Army Forces Command. Music will be provided by the 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing Band. And uh, since it's probably going to be raining, our friend Robin Simonton says that's going to be probably close to the mausoleum and not out into not out in the um, the field of honor itself. So. Uh, I'm going to that tomorrow, um, and uh, because that's something I I try to do every year. Um, but yeah, and I think it's also important to remind people um, because although it's been happening for a few years, 
preparing for the show this week was the first time I heard about it was that that moment of silence at 3 p.m. Yeah, the moment of silence. So wherever you are, if you got the cookout going, got the grill, just remember 3 o'clock, just take a moment of silence right there. We we don't do call to actions, but we're going to do that one this week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, leave folks uh, with Johnny Cash, Ragged Old Flag. Yes. Friends, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. If you want to, uh, if you like to listen to our high minded hijinks and want to keep the lights on here, Little Raleigh Radio, go to littleraleighradio.org, click on the donate button, and, and, you know, give us, you know, whatever you have spare change in your pocket, or you can become a sustainer donor, whatever. And a, a lot of folks, um, not a lot, we always need more, but. The only reason we're even here able to do this is because folks have given. Yes. Uh, and for those people, we thank you very much. Thank you very much. So appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you next week.